today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Cash and Carry Kitchens. At the heart of Irish homes for over 40 years. Cashandcarrykitchens.ie Now we move on because the Irish Times is reporting this morning that a house which was burned down in an arson attack in County Kildare on Tuesday was being monitored by Gardaí due to false rumours circulating that it was to be used for asylum seekers. Conor Gallagher has the story and he joins me on the line now. Conor, thanks for being with us this morning. When we hear that, that the house was being monitored by Gardaí, what does that actually mean? Well, the house, uh, this is the seven-bed dormer bungalow in the Selbridge Road in Newbridge, which was was burnt out on uh, Wednesday morning. Uh, It had been subject to threats in recent weeks and protests amid false information spreading locally and online that it was going to be used to house um, asylum seekers. And it was actually targeted in a failed arson arson attack a couple of weeks ago. So the Gardaí were obviously alerted and investigated the scene. They gave security advice to the owner of the property, which he implemented, and they also put in place patrols to pass by the house every so often to keep a closer eye on us. Now, we don't know if those patrols were at night time when the arson actually took place and when most of these arsons took place, but the Gardaí were keeping a relatively close eye on this property because they knew it was possible because it's happened before that the arsonists may return to, to finish the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfortunately, those patrols... Um, didn't deter the arsonists, which I, I suppose goes to underline how brazen some of these attacks have become. Um, the Crooksling nursing home attack that actually had that that was uh, last late last week that actually had security on the site because for similar reasons, but again failed to stop the uh, the attack. Because mm-hmm. I suppose when people hear that that a property is being monitored by Gardaí and that there's a private security presence there, they're wondering. You, you know, you you would ask how the arson attack could happen in the first place, but as you say that's maybe testament to the the brazenness of the people who are carrying out these attacks. Mm, that's right, yeah. And these um, attacks have, as I'm sure you're, you're aware, have grown more frequent. Um, they've actually been going on since 2018. You can trace the first attack back to a rural location in 2018, but it's only in the last four months that they've become a weekly or a bi-week or a you know twice a week occurrence uh, nearly and, and I've also started uh, occurring in Dublin a lot more not mm-hmm. just isolated rural areas. Okay. At the start of the show I posed that question or whether it's a difficult crime arson in and of itself to prevent investigate and prosecute is that the case or what is the, the guard the view what have you been hearing? Yeah, it's an inherently difficult crime uh, to prosecute. Almost by definition, ar- arson is carried out in the middle of the night. Um, that, uh, and, and the majority of these properties are rural properties, you know, with minimal CCTV, minimal street lighting. So even if a, a place has a security guard there, or even if guardy are doing periodic patrols, it's relatively easy for someone with that kind of brazenness and motivation to set a prop, break into a property and set it on fire. I've been doing a bit of research on this, on the international situation, which we'll have in tomorrow's paper. And lots of other EU countries have been dealing with this. Ireland's actually slightly late to the party um, uh, in terms of arson attacks on, on asylum seeker uh, accommodation centres. Sweden, Germany, France have all experienced this since 2015 or 16. And they've also had very, very few uh, uh, arrests 
for oh, those types of attacks. Okay, so it's a, a similar picture across the board there in terms of what's happening and then finding the, the culprits at the end of, of, of the process. They're finding it difficult too. That's right. Now, some of those countries have taken different approaches to Ireland. Um, in Germany, for example, some of these attacks were actually grouped together and classified as domestic terrorism and brought under the jurisdiction of counter-terrorism police um, who seem to have had some success in dismantling some of these kind of far-right anti-immigrant networks. That's interesting that you say that because we have seen in the Dáil yesterday the People Before Profit TD Paul Murphy described these attacks as acts of far-right terrorism in the state. And are there any calls for a more joined up approach to how these crimes are investigated, given that, as you describe there, there has been some success in other jurisdictions when counterterrorism is brought in? Mm, yeah, so as of now, you know, we have, well, there's various different counts uh, counts of how many attacks there's been, but it's somewhere around the 20 mark in the last few years. And that's 20 separate investigations in 20 different Garda stations led by 20 different senior investigating officers or, or individual Garda. There's been no central unit or say something like the National Bureau of Criminal Investigation or the Special Detective Unit, which would ordinarily ha- uh, handle terror attacks, uh, assigned to kind of oversee uh, the, the the investigations. That is an approach that's happened in other countries. Um, I suppose one thing to point out is, thankfully, no one has been seriously injured in any of these attacks, um, although there have been some close calls. Um, so it might necessarily reach that technical definition of, of terrorism. Um, there's many definitions of terrorism. But as of now, these are all individual investigations that are sharing some information, but they're all you know, individually headed up uh, by around the country. Mm-hmm. And we've had reminders from the Taoiseach, from the Garda Commissioner and from other public figures, you know, just how serious the crime of arson is. It's punishable by up to 10 years in prison. But that message doesn't seem to be getting through to those who are bent on committing these crimes. And it's ironic that some of those who are trying to link migration with crime are engaging in serious criminal activity themselves. Yeah, it, it, you know, there's, it's been a standard reaction from Taoiseach Tanista and, and Minister for Justice, you know, uh, reacting to these arsons to come out and say arsons a very serious crime. I suppose there's not much more they can do. It's a police matter, but it's it's strange they, they've 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 all said arsons punished by ten years in prison. Michal Martin has actually suggested maybe there, we need more deterrent. Arsons actually punishable by up to life in prison um, uh, under certain circumstances. So, like the deterrent from the legal point of view is there. The, the, the priorities actually arresting people and bringing them before the court so they can face that that, that deterrent. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you also, Connor, about this story you're writing about today, Ireland entering a new agreement with NATO, which is aimed at protecting subsea infrastructure and also countering threats from uh, nations such as Russia and China. And it's really interesting if you look back at where this might have stemmed from. A UK report suggesting that we could be a backdoor for Russia and China and threaten their security as a result. Well, yeah, so the, 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 our new agreement with NATO can be traced back to the 2022 uh, NATO summit in Madrid. And at that summit, you know, Russia and the Russian invasion of Ukraine was at the top of, of all the NATO members' minds. And 
one of their priorities was to reinvigorate partnership for peace, which is the, the arrangement non-NATO members have to cooperate with, with, with the alliance. Ireland's been a member of uh, PFP since 1999, and they wanted to... They wanted to basically reinvigorate it and to uh, make the, those partner nations think about their defence properly in the wake of, you know, increased Russian aggression. So that's what this new agreement is. Uh, it's the partner-led, so that means Ireland has been able to set out the priorities where it's, it wants to improve its security. Those exact priorities are uh, classified, but it's understood they include things like maritime security, sort of subsea cables that have been in the news a lot in recent years cyber security, increasing civilian resilience is, is the word. And, and, and by that, they mean um, civilian response, so not just military response to, say, a natural disaster or a man-made disaster or spotting disinformation or election interference. So it's not just military improvements they want to make. They want to improve security across society and that just tallied at the, at it came, you know, my story came just the same week as this report from a UK influential UK think tank, um, which was endorsed by two UK former uh, security ministers, one of whom was actually a NATO section, um, saying that Ireland is a backdoor to UK uh, security, as, as in in terms of threats, you know, mm-hmm. um, because we have such an underfunded uh, and under-equipped defence forces and that Ireland has actually been free note, freeloading on the, the Western military uh, alliance in, in recent years. So I know you had the statement from the Defence Forces spokesman who said the government has no plans to join NATO. But given what you've just told us, is there pressure about to come on Ireland to do just that? Yes. So that's a really interesting question. And it was, yeah, it was the Department of Defence came back to me and as expected say this does not represent a, a step towards joining NATO. Many other neutral countries such as Austria and Switzerland and Malta have also entered similar agreements with NATO and they're not going to join anytime soon. Uh, but the question of whether are we are going to come under pressure to uh, maybe move towards the alliance is a very live one. And I think it's only going to become more pertinent, especially in the context of, say, Irish reunification. I mean, this it's probably down the list of concerns. But you know, are is uh, the UK going to be happy having losing the the Northern Ireland from the the, the NATO alliance, losing its window into the Atlantic Ocean? Um, are people in Northern Ireland are they, they going to be happy about that? Um, and as the threats continue, you know, to mount from Russia. Um, is Ireland going to get its act together in terms of defence spending and, and um, recruitment into the defence forces, say air policing and maritime policing? We're still down to basically two ships at sea. Um, and if not, are they going to join NATO? Is that the way to do it? Now, those questions aren't being asked publicly yet. I wouldn't be surprised if they start to get a little bit louder over the coming uh, months and years, though. Mm-hmm. Big questions, Connor. Very big questions. Thank you so much for taking us through it this morning. Connor Gallagher, Irish Times crime and security correspondent. Coming up next, the master of the Rotunda Hospital will be here. Text 51551 today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1.